can go ahead and turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15 as we continue this Lord's Day in our study through Matthew's Gospel. Uh, as you turn there, uh, let me say I, I so appreciate our uh, musicians and instrumentalists and worship choir and you folks coming and sharing the gifts that the Holy Spirit's given you with us to help lead us in worship. And, and that is one of the reasons that the church gathers on the Lord's Day is that we might rightly worship God. And so I'm thankful for those of you who help us do that and uh, so that we can more rightly come and, and worship our God and King Christ Jesus who we have been learning about as we've been going through Matthew's Gospel. As you recall, we are here at a point in the Gospel where uh, Jesus is beginning to pull away, to retreat. He has ministered greatly throughout the different Jewish territories and he has faced more and more opposition as he has ministered uh, to the point where we have the religious leaders uh, accusing him of being even possessed by the devil. They do not believe he is the Messiah and so we are going to see a radical shift in today's passage as the gospel now begins to go into the Gentile regions, a place that we have not seen Jesus travel to yet even though we have seen him minister to those from it who have come to him. So Let's read Matthew 15, verses 21 through 39, and then we pray for our time in God's Word today. This is what the Word of God says to us. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee, and he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And the great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, well, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish. And having given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. They took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went away to the region of Magadan. Let's pray for our time in God's Word this morning. Father, there, there is much in this passage. We see the continuing ministry of our Lord and King Christ Jesus. We see 
the effects of the fall of sin. We see sickness. See all these things being turned back by King Jesus. We're reminded, Lord, that He has all power and He is supreme. And yet we are also reminded as we look at the Scripture and we look at our lives that there are a lot of people who want to be king in this room. Father, our natural inclination is to be king of our own lives, and yet we can't be king and Christ be king at the same time. And, and ultimately, He is the one who deserves the glory, not us. And so we pray, God, as we look at Your Word, that You would remind us of this today. We pray, God, that You would burden our heart for the nations. We thank You, Lord, for that, that, that great testimony of what is being done in East Asia through people You have raised up here the Coulters and the Terrys and others who are ministering throughout the world. And Lord, we pray for them. We pray, God, that your message would go forward throughout the world and in the hearts of us this morning. And we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. I will never believe in God. And I will never become a Christian. Those words were spoken to me a number of years ago. I was... In Bratislava, Slovakia, Slovakia had just become its own republic. It had separated out from what is now the Czech Republic, former Czechoslovakia, nation that had spent years under communism. And now I was there as a summer missionary uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ in 1993. And I found myself there on a university campus speaking to a young man named Tomas. And Tomas was not all that different than many of the students I had encountered that had grown up under communism. Uh, He was an atheist. He vowed that he would never believe in God. And as much as he enjoyed our friendship and the time we spent that summer together and along with others that were with me, he said, I appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. Thank you for coming. But I just want to make sure you know, I will never become a Christian. Years went on and we would have different ministry teams go in there, missionaries stay throughout the year and, and they would all get to know Tomas and I would hear reports back and He would say similar things in the years to come. He would say, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you for coming. But I will never become a Christian. Tomas became a Christian. Uh, Not only did Tomas become a Christian, he became the first uh, national Slovak to serve with Campus Crusade for Christ, and he is a missionary there today, reaching out to college students in the name of Jesus Christ. As I tell you that story, as I think of that story, it reminds me that that, that we don't serve a God who, who is limited by our defiance. And we don't serve a God who, upon hearing us, refuse Him or say, well, I'll never believe that, well, I'll never accept that. We, we don't serve a God who then says, oh, okay, well, just let me back off then. Uh, we serve a God that is wor- at work, and we see the glory of His work among those who perhaps we think might be the least likely to believe, and yet that is not the plan of God. His plan is for the gospel to go to all the nations. We've heard an example of that this morning, and we see an example of that in the Scripture. As we look to this text, I pray that God will will help us to see the great work of the Gospel and how it is going out and how it's going out in this text. The the first thing we see as we study this is that faith is often found in unlikely places. As we've read through the Gospels so far, we've seen a lot of people respond to Jesus Christ, and, and a lot of times it's done in a way that we might consider likely. 
uh, Jesus is ministering in the temple and he's explaining the word of God and some people are believing, people who've been raised in an understanding of God's word, they've been raised in an understanding of God's people, they've been looking for the Messiah, longing for the Messiah, and now the Messiah is here and it kind of makes sense to us. Oh, okay, well that, that's the natural conclusion, well surely they're going to accept him. It kind of doesn't make sense to us for those who knew so much about the Messiah, who knew so much of what to look for in the Messiah, would reject Jesus. That, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But what sometimes we don't consider a natural conclusion is, is those who seem to be so out of God's reach, out of God's people, who are, who are godless, and yet we see that God has a plan for them as well as we look at the faith of this Canaanite woman. Jesus here is doing something we haven't seen yet. In the year and a half that we've been studying Matthew's gospel, we haven't seen him do this. He is going into Gentile territories now. If you were to look at a map, you would see that Tyre and Sidon reside north of Galilee. Tyre's about 25 miles north. Sidon's about 25 miles north of that. Uh, this is far away from the region that Jesus had been ministering in. And this is significant. Jesus just isn't pulling away from those Jewish territories. He, he is missionally going out into an area with the message of the kingdom. But the people he's going out to, the natural conclusion would be, these will be the people least interested in his message. And I can only imagine what the disciples are thinking about this time. They're probably thinking, we're just getting away, we're just retreating. But because the territory they were going into, these were the Canaanites, among others. These are Gentile people. We see the way that it comes to him, a Canaanite. Uh, this is the only time we have a Canaanite mentioned in the New Testament. But if you have read through the Old Testament, you've heard of the Canaanites. The Canaanites were among the, the, the foreign people that when God's people were called to go into the promised land, when Joshua led them into the promised land, God said, okay, as you go into this land, you need to destroy these people. And among those people were the Canaanites, and there was very good reason for this, because the Canaanites and those others around them, these were polytheistic people. They, they had all kinds of deities that they worshipped. Uh, they did not worship the one true God of Israel. They worshipped false gods and false religions. That They had many pagan practices, and, and God knew His people. He knew that if they were to go in among them, that, that quickly, uh, that His own people would become influenced by these pagan people, and, he, and he's trying to help them understand something about righteousness and purity and, and keeping them separate. They're called out, and yet they don't obey God. We see the effects of that. We see the effects of that in our lives today. Is we can be so influenced, the church is so influenced by the culture, and rather than the church making a, a stand in the culture, it's the culture that has made the stand in the church. And and we see that rooted in this. And so here's this woman from among a people that God at one time said these were cursed people, these were pagan people, these are people that need to be destroyed. And she's coming out to Jesus. So just think for a moment what this was like for the disciples. I mean, this isn't just we're going on the other side of the railroad tracks. This was we're going into a place we don't associate with these people. And they sure don't want to hear what we have to say. And Jesus, they don't want to hear what you have to say. And they probably don't even know anything about what to look for in the Messiah, who the Messiah is. They're pagans. They have all these pagan practices. They sacrifice their children to false gods. And here's this woman coming out, and the Scripture says she's a Canaanite. 
This is someone that they, in their minds, they would know, okay, that's among the people that, that God told the nation of Israel to destroy. This is about the most unlikely place for faith to be found, but that's exactly what is found. As you read the text, notice how this woman responds. This, this is not after uh, a week of revival services. This is not after a, another series of sermons. And Jesus literally walks into the region. This woman comes out from the region. And notice what she says. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. Every time she acknowledges Him, three times in this passage she refers to Him as Lord. And that indicates something. That, that indicates she, she has an understanding of who this is. You see, there were those during this time who thought Jesus was just some miracle worker, but they didn't acknowledge Him as Lord. And they thought, well, maybe these things don't work. Maybe Jesus can do something. But they, they didn't understand who He was. And yet, here she says, Oh, Lord, Son of David. That, that, that's a messianic title. This woman seems to understand more about Je- who Jesus is than, than the religious teachers that we've been reading about throughout the Gospels. And, and there's a message there for us. It's obvious that God had been doing a work in this woman's life. It's obvious that the Spirit had been revealing things to her to help her understand. This is not just some magic man showing up to town. Uh, This is the Messiah, and that's exactly how she refers to him. Most unlikely person, the most unlikely of places, and you see her faith. But but then then comes this, this interaction, which I think often seems a little bit off to us. I mean, we picture Jesus as the, the compassionate, loving, merciful Savior. You know, the Jesus that we conjure up, often we think, well, well, if this woman came to him, he would just put his arm around her and say, oh, you know, sweet woman, your child is healed. But notice, that's not what he says. First of all, he ignores her. And then she's annoying the disciples. And we'll talk about them in a moment, but it's obvious they don't have any compassion for her. That They just want her to be done with. It says, send her away. She's crying out. She's bugging us. She's annoying us. And then Jesus makes this statement, well, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, there are different interpretations of what's going on here, but, but let me say this. I don't think what Jesus is doing here is saying that salvation is only for the Jews. We can't talk to her about the kingdom. We can't heal her child. This is reserved only for the people of Israel. This is just for them. Although, at a glance, that can appear what's going on here. Jesus says very clearly, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then he says, it's not right to take children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's not really reaching out here. You know? I mean, imagine it's Sunday morning and we get to a time of invitation and and you come forward, you want to surrender your life to Christ, you want to get baptized, maybe you want to join this church, and I just look at you and I said, no, nah, you're a dog, just go on. I'd probably get some glances. <laughs> Might have a special called deacon's meeting after that. You know, That's not how you respond when people want to surrender their lives. No, you embrace that, you welcome that. So, so why is it Jesus here is saying things about, well, no, this, this isn't for you, it's for someone else. No, no, you don't give the children's bread to dogs. Well, I think part of it, and I think there's much going on here, I think part of it is Jesus is wanting to make sure the disciples understand what's taking place. He's about to heal this woman's daughter. He knows this. And I don't think Jesus wants somehow the disciples to manipulate in this 
this in their minds is thinking that, well, Jesus was just bugged like we were. He was annoyed like we were. Yeah, she's an unclean woman from unclean people, but yeah, he's so merciful and graceful. Look, he even healed her child. I think Jesus wants to make sure the disciples, wants to make sure Matthew, who would pin this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants to make sure we this morning understand something radical is taking place here. The kingdom is not just reserved for the people of Israel. The kingdom is now going out to all the Gentile people, and we will see that going out even more and more and more as we go through the Gospels. And it culminates in Matthew 28 where Jesus says, Go to the nations. This is a radical turning point, and I think Jesus wants to make sure the disciples get that. Jesus wants to make sure the disciples understand that, yes, he understands she's not from the people of Israel. He understands she's from a pagan people who at one time God had said, destroy them and wipe them off the face of the earth. He gets that. He understands that compared to them, the Gentile people, the Canaanite people, would be considered dogs who could eat from the crumbs that fall off the table. He, He gets that. But he's about to radically change that. And for everyone here from a non-Jewish heritage, aren't you glad he did? I mean, at least as you're reading this, you somehow put yourself on the disciple side or the Pharisee side or something. You know, we are on the Canaanite side of this equation. And I think there's a message there for us too, because that offense we take when we hear Jesus referring to this person as, as a dog, that's the same offense we take when someone tells us that we are a depraved, sinner, lost, and desperate, and on our own, We deserve no standing before God. We don't like that. Because we like to think that we look pretty good. We like to think that we measure up. There's always someone we can find that we look better than. And that's who we often compare ourselves to. We need to understand someone else is looking at us the same way. And they're holding us up as their standard because they see themselves better than we are. You see, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work in a way where somehow we're going to stand before God and there's going to be these scales and if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm going to be okay. It's not what Scripture teaches. The Scripture says we need to understand what Jesus is saying to this woman that when compared to the holiness and righteousness of God, we are dogs begging for scraps and we don't deserve anything. And yet the great news of the gospel is that that Jesus, who deserved no death because he had no sin, got on that cross, died for our sin, a death that we deserved, that we might receive a righteousness that was his that we didn't deserve. And he took our debt, he paid our penalty, and he blessed us with his righteousness. And, And we're seeing that in part here as we see this woman unlikely to respond in faith, who, who seems to have faith. Maybe she doesn't fully understand the gospel as much as we fully understand it now, but I'll tell you what she does understand. She knows Jesus is Lord. And she knows He's the Son of David. She, she claims that Messianic title. And what else she knows? She knows He has the power with His very Word to heal her daughter. doesn't say that Jesus went to her house and put His hand on her daughter's head doesn't say that Jesus said, well, I'm going to have a big crusade in town later. If you bring her up here, I'll, I'll swing my cloak at her. I'll blow in her direction. With his very word, she was healed instantly. And that woman had faith. And Jesus says that. He says, oh, how great is your faith. So what does that mean for us? We'll pr- 
Perhaps there's somebody that you've given up on. Perhaps there's somebody that you consider so far gone, so far into pagan territory, so, so far invested in, in a pagan life, that you think that they don't want to hear what I have to say. They're not going to respond to this. If I invite them to church, they're going to laugh at me. If I start talking to them about the gospel, about Jesus, they don't want to hear that. Maybe they do want to hear that. And maybe they're waiting for you and I to tell them that because maybe just like this Canaanite woman, God is working in their life. And even though their life circumstances might not indicate it, maybe something's going on in their heart. And maybe on the outside they're saying, I will never believe in God. I will never become a Christian. But that's not intimidating the God of the universe. Who at this very moment may be very well at work in their life to draw them to repentance and faith. Don't miss out on that because you gave up on them. Remember what Jesus did for this woman and He can do for anyone among us, anyone in our world today. We also see as we look at this passage that crisis situations or gospel opportunities as we go through you see here the crowds are coming to jesus he has gone up to a mountain and they're bringing all their sick they're crippled they're blind they're mute all these people to come to jesus and and imagine what a sight that would have been i mean this is not some well landscape park where there's 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 sidewalks going up to where jesus is these people aren't in wheelchairs these people are crippled and lame and, and they're disabled. And they, they can't of their own effort really get to Jesus without help from others, with, without great anguish on their part. As I looked at this, I was reminded of a site that I saw a number of years ago in West Africa on a mission trip. I was there in the city. It was a poor area. Uh, people who were crippled, they were just outcast. There, there was no medical care. I remember seeing this one man just pulling himself through the streets who had club feet. He didn't have crutches, he didn't have a wheelchair. If he was going to get from point A to point B, he literally was just crawling throughout the street. And that's what I picture going on here. These people, they are just clawing their ways, crawling their ways. They want to get to Jesus. Why? Because they know God's doing something radical here. I think the indication in the text is that these people are Gentiles because in verse 31, they acknowledge, they, they glorify the God of Israel. I think Matthew puts that distinction there to help us understand these are Gentile people. It wasn't just a Canaanite woman who comes to Him. People are coming. Masses are coming. They want to be healed by Jesus, but not just a miracle worker. They know He's from God. And they acknowledge that as they glorify the God of Israel. That, that word glorify means they, they worship, they praised they were thanking the Lord. You may have a little trouble with texts like this, though, because you may have been bringing your lame and blind and crippled and mute to the Lord for a long time, and God hasn't healed them. And you may wonder, God, do you think less of me than you thought of these these Gentile people in this Gentile land who, when they heard you on a mountain, they, they brought people to you and you healed them. I think that God can heal anyone to begin with. I, I think that I, I truly, I, I do not believe in divine healers. I believe in divine healing. I think the Scripture attests to that. And I think God can heal anyone. 
But I think we need to be real careful that we're not short-sighted here. Because ultimately, for those who have faith in Christ, God will heal them. See, we get our eyes focused on the temporary, and we start thinking about 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, and God, why aren't you doing this, this, and this? And why don't you fix this, and this, and this? And God, I want it now. And we forget that there's a day when all things are made new and it's eternal. And we're not talking about lasting for a decade or two. These people who were healed, they're still going to die. Now, these people who couldn't walk and God lets them walk, there's still going to be a day when they can't walk anymore. They're all going to taste as we are physical death, but there'll be a day when God heals all those whose faith is in Him. Revelation 21, 1-4, there'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more suffering, no more pain. It's done. And that's what we're to long for, and that's what we look forward to. And today, we're going to have an opportunity in a few moments to, to share in this table together. For those of us who are believers, who have repented and placed our faith in Christ, we come to this table, and one of the reasons we share in this meal is because we are sharing in it, remembering what happened, but looking ahead to what's going to happen, that there's going to be a banquet one day. No, nobody's going to leave this church this morning having eaten that little cracker and drank that little cup and saying, man, I sure am full now. I don't think I could eat another bite. This isn't going to fill you up. But one day it's going to do a lot more than that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. This is to remind you that there's going to be a table you come to one day when you're going to be satisfied. And that's kind of where the text takes us because there's last part of this text, we, we come to a point where Jesus then turns and he feeds these 4,000 similar to what we saw in Matthew 14 as he fed the 5,000. Let me just briefly mention this and then we'll share in the Lord's table together. The last point in your notes, to, to fulfill Christ's commission, we need, to, we need Christ's compassion and we see his compassion in this text I mean, think about the setting here. We, we just studied just a chapter ago, which in real time for the disciples, it wasn't just last Sunday. This would have been months ago. But this is in their recollection. This is in their recent memory. There they are. Jesus is ministering. He's trying to get away. People are coming around him. He, the disciples then come and complain. This is Matthew 14. Well, we can't feed them. You need to send them away. And get, so they can get something to eat. And Jesus says, well, you feed them. No, we can't feed them. He's trying to help them understand. Only he can do this. Only he is sufficient. And he responds and miraculously feeds 5,000 men plus the women and children. So maybe 15, 20, 30,000 people. That, that's just happened a few months ago. And yet what happens here? There's these pagan people now coming to him. And you don't see the disciples coming to Jesus and saying, we need to feed these people. Because I think the disciples lack what sometimes we lack. That they don't have the compassion of Christ. And I think that's why when we look in verse 21 through 28, and that Canaanite woman, notice there, the disciples aren't saying to Jesus, Jesus, we really think you ought to heal her. <laughs> she's crying out, Jesus, why don't you just heal her? No, they say, Jesus, she's bugging us. We're kind of tired of this. Can you just send her away? They don't have compassion for her. And they don't have compassion for these crowds. It's Jesus, verse 32, the text tells us, who has compassion. And notice, they've been with him for three days. 
I mean, these people are hungry, and they're hungry for something more than food. They want to be in the presence of Christ. They want to learn from Christ. They want to be healed by Christ. And so it's Jesus who has compassion. And again, you see the disciples' attitude, verse 33. Again, Jesus has just performed miracle upon miracle upon miracle. And what is their response? Well, where are we going to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? You know, this, this is one of those moments I think about in the Scripture, kind of like when I was a kid in gym class and, You'd probably get arrested if you did this today, but my PE teacher had this big old class ring, and he would knock me on my head if I asked a dumb question. I can just picture Jesus wanting to knock the disciples on their head. It's like, come on, do you not realize what's just taking place? This is Christ. This is Lord. Remember that woman just came to him, and she's got a demonly, a demonically oppressed child, and in a very word, he heals her? And then he's up on a mountaintop and thousands of people are coming to him and he's healing them. I think what we're seeing here is the disciples, it's not that they don't think Jesus can do it. They just don't have the heart Jesus has. And I don't think we've grown past that yet in the church. It's not that, I don't think the issue is that we don't believe that God can save people throughout the world or that we don't believe God can, can work in the heart of that person that we know who seems so far away from God. The issue is this. We don't have the compassion that Jesus had. And if we never have that compassion, we're not going to fulfill that commission. And if we want that compassion, then we need to realize some things. We need to realize, for example... That just because Jesus physically healed these people, it doesn't mean he spiritually healed them. And if they're not spiritually healed, they're going to spend eternity in hell. And there's people in our world today, and there's people in your lives today, and there's people in my life today who, apart from a saving knowledge of Jesus, they will spend eternity separated from God. 1 John 5 says, If you have the Son, you have the life. If you don't have the Son, you don't have the life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know but we're not going to have it without Christ. And here's the other reality. As we heard mentioned in that newsletter from the cultures, there are so many in the world today who if they, they, they just are waiting to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. But there are about 3 billion people in the world today, out of 7 billion people, 3 billion who have little to no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the reality of it. We're not short on funds. They're in your bank account and in my bank account. And we're not short on personnel. They're sitting in the pews and the pulpits of our churches today. What we're short on is the compassion. And my prayer for you and I as we prepare to come to this table today is that God might work in our hearts in such a way that we become compassionate and start thinking about something. We start thinking, as the Scripture says, that as we come to this table, we're remembering the price that was paid for our sin, that Christ on Calvary, He he bore our sin, all of our sin, not just a few things you've done, everything you have done, everything you will do. It is forgiven for those who have repented and placed their faith in Christ. We remember that, but we remember something else. Jesus says this is a new cup, a new covenant in my blood. Do this. And remember that one day we're going to have this meal again. And here's the thing about that meal. No little table, no little crackers, no little cups. It's a feast.
And there's going to be a Nepalese guard at that table now. And you're going to have a meal with him. And he's going to be in the presence of Christ our King forever. Because somebody left their comforts and went to a place where so many don't believe and ministered among a people where so many don't believe and God was at work just like he was in that Canaanite woman. He was at work in that Nepalese guard. And when he heard the gospel and when she saw Christ, they responded. And I believe that God is still at work in our world today. And there are a lot of other Nepalese guards out there. And I believe there's people here in Bloomfield, in Nelson County, in Kentucky, in our country, and all around. And their outside might look pretty tough, but God's doing something there. And if everything was to end today, and Christ was to return today, they wouldn't be at that table because they've yet to respond to repentance and faith. I want us to think about them this morning. I want you to think about the people perhaps God is bringing to mind even now, people you know who that they don't believe, they haven't responded to the gospel, that there might be great crises in their life. Understand that is an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And by God's grace, maybe one day they'll be sitting between you and that Nepalese guard at a banquet table. Let's pray to that end as we come to this table and share in it. I want to invite the deacons to come forward as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper together. As they come forward, I'm going to pray for us. And then for those of us who are believers, followers of Christ, we've entered into that that covenant of faith with Him. We invite you in a moment as we distribute these elements to to take them and prepare to receive them. And after everybody's had a chance to to take the bread and to take the cup, I'll, I'll pray for us and then we'll receive each of those elements. But let me pray for us as we prepare for this time. Father, I thank You for Your Word and the glory of it. And Lord, I thank You that You're at work. None is so far that you can't reach them. And Lord, while there might be lives in crisis all around us, those are invitations to the gospel and to to minister that there are people who are realizing that they're not sufficient, that they can't fix all their problems, that that they've got issues they they, they can't buy themselves out of, they can't work themselves out of, they, they can't fix, that they need you in their lives. And Lord, what an opportunity for those of us who follow Christ to come and say, here's the gospel And it won't cost you anything, but it'll cost you everything because it comes when we surrender to Christ. And for those of us who've done that, Lord, thank you for this opportunity we have to come to this table now to to remember the debt that was paid for us and to look ahead to that day when we will come to this table with the nations. And Lord, we pray for the three billion on our planet today who have no missionary who have no Bible in their language, who have no church on their corner, that you would so burden us to go and take the gospel to them that they might come to this table with us one day. And we pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.